1: to challenge you with a series of questions to help you understand how your team is performing. It's free and only takes a few minutes to complete. If you'd like to know more, you can check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. Welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. To me, being perfect is not about that scoreboard out there. This is a chance, a lifetime. When you can understand the person, you can then work towards a common goal. We are all on the same
2: team. Know you're wrong you and do it to the best of your ability. Focus on the fundamentals. We've gone over time and time again.
1: Your defense has got to be better. Leave no
2: doubt
0: tonight.
2: Great moments are born from
1: great opportunity. My name is Paul Barnett, and you are listening to The Great Coaches Podcast, where we explore leadership through the lens of high-performance sport by interviewing great coaches from around the world to try and find ideas to help all of us lead our teams better. Our great coach on this episode is Brad Doubley. Brad is a former player and now head coach for the Australian Wheelchair Rugby Team. Brad took up wheelchair rugby at the age of 14 as part of his rehabilitation process from an injury. Within a year, he was representing Australia in a test against New Zealand. He then won a silver medal as an athlete at the 2000 Sydney Olympic Games. After retiring, Brad transitioned into coaching and led the Australian team to a silver medal at the 2008 Olympics. He then went on to coach the team to -to back-to-back gold medals at the 2012 and 2016 Olympic Games. Brad is a calm and inspiring coach, the type of person you feel at ease with as soon as you meet them. He speaks with deep insight about the rewards that come from taking athletes and their families on a journey towards both team success and individual improvement. You will also hear him talk about the need to keep coaching messages simple so that athletes can understand and not doubt themselves if they forget or scramble the instructions, how laughter can relieve pressure and give the team a sense of confidence, And how his key message to everyone is, don't let the chair stop you from doing anything. Brad is a terrific coach, and I hope you enjoy listening to him as much as Jim and I did.
0: The Great Coaches Podcast.
1: Brad Dubbley, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. And Brad, let me just start by asking, where are you in the world today?
2: Yes, I'm based here in Melbourne, in Australia. Yeah, very difficult times at the moment. We're all in lockdown and unable to travel here, there and everywhere. But yeah, here was uh, my wife and two kids. It's all good, mate.
1: Well, lockdown has helped us carve out a little bit of time for this interview today. So there is some good that has come from this situation. So Brad, I'm really excited to talk to you about your experience in multiple Paralympics. And I'd really like to start from there actually, because so far, you've coached or participated in four Paralympic Games. And so from that vantage point, what is it you think that the great coaches do differently?
2: Yeah, I think the great coaches, just particularly nowadays, like it's definitely changed a fair bit over over the time. I think nowadays the coaches have a really good relationship with the athletes in particular. And that's almost, I mean, really getting down to their level and sort of being a peer more so than a dictator, telling them exactly how it's going to be. So having that sort of empathy and understanding and I think also having understanding that, each athlete has their own learning styles. And so, you know, some want to be visual, some want to see videos, some want to be better listening to stuff. Some people don't want to meet face-to-face, but will be happy to speak over a FaceTime or whatever. So I think really getting a good understanding of how everyone learns the best. And then also being able to just not really be the dictator, but also sort of be the educator, ask a lot of questions and help them really think their way through it and become that problem solver really to be able to handle each decision during a game or a competition, and uh, work their way through it.
1: You moved into coaching quite early, and you've said that you find coaching more rewarding than playing. Why is that? Uh, yeah, yes. So I played in the Sydney and Athens Paralympics, so
2: silver medaled in Sydney. Don't worry about Athens, and then Beijing, London, and Rio. Yeah, I've been coaching. So, coach. Still, my first Paralympics are silver. Pretty quick turnaround. Like I started coaching beginning of two thousand seven. And it was a really bizarre time just because we had, I was coaching a lot of my teammates that I played was teammates with. So we sort of had to learn that. And then from there, yeah, coached two gold medals. So in London was our first one in twenty twelve and then gold again in Rio. Each one's been very different. But I think the coaching is so much more rewarding when, particularly in a team sport and particularly the Paralympic sport, when you're, you're really building the whole team and you're really taking the athlete and their families on their journey. So... In, in, uh, in, in my sport in particular, we've got athletes who have been injured, whether it be breaking their necks and having spinal injuries or whether it be amputations or whatever it may be. And their families are obviously very close to what happens there. And you go from that not knowing what the future holds to travelling and improving, you know, obviously, your, your life and tra- you know, competing again. have been very lucky to be very successful. And to have the athletes on the top of the podium and having our anthem played and you look on the crowd and you see their family and friends crying and just so excited from that journey that it's been is just so much more rewarding than when it's by yourself and you've obviously you know, got my own family and you train and you work hard and, and stuff like that, but you're essentially just a part of the team doing is as, as what the team needs, not sort of helping, I suppose, build the whole thing and and having all those, I suppose, more in-detailed in, de- in detailed relationships with everybody. So I think it's just, yeah, so much more rewarding and I suppose, yeah, just definitely seeing that, that the team know how far we've come and achieve. And, and nowadays where, you know, whether I suppose the benchmark, everyone's trying to take us out all the time and it's just a lot more enjoyable being an innovator and trying to improve, not just copying all the time and it just keeps it more fun. So I think, yeah, that's probably the main reason why I prefer the
1: coaching over the, over the playing. Well, we'll get to the, the back-to-back gold medals in a little bit, but I wanted to just pause there for a minute and ask, you transitioned very quickly from player within the team as you just mentioned to the coach it's difficult to do and i'm wondering if there was any advice or top tips you would take from your transition to offer to others
2: yeah my my transition was very interesting and different so i was one of the main, well one of the best players in the world at the time playing all over the world the club teams in america and japan and sweden and all uh, canada and all just all over the place but I had some shoulder injuries after the Athens Paralympics and I went back and played uh, in the States and uh, i became an assistant coach to our head coach here who, was, who came from wheelchair basketball. Um, funny enough, after the 2006 World Champs, I went in with a resignation saying, look, I don't want to coach anymore. I just want to go back to playing. Paralympics Australia, as it's now called, but the Australian Paralympic Committee at the time just said, "I'll oh, hang on to that. We want you to uh, be our head coach, which means you can't play. But furthermore, running are only going to give you half an hour to make the decision. I think it was a really smart move because I think at that time, as an athlete, I was as much as I was playing a team sport, I was very much all about me. We're having half an hour to the side. I had enough time to speak to a few people, like key athletes that were part of the team, managers, my parents, and and stuff like that. And then to able to go back within half an hour and say, yeah, it's it's not about me, it's about the team. I think I've got the qualities to be able to, to lead the team. I've got the support. Let's get to work. So, yeah, went, went in with the resignation to not, not coach just to play, left being the head coach and not able to play essentially. So, but I think, yeah, it, it was a very quick turnaround. And I was, yeah, obviously, yeah, pretty young at the time. And, yeah, but I think it's just been so rewarding to obviously put my own sort of wants to play to putting the team team there and knowing that I had the, I suppose, uh, skills and the people around me to build a really successful program and, and be where we are now.
1: Wheelchair rugby has been dubbed combat chess. So in that context, what is the role of the coach in your sport?
2: Uh, yeah, so wheelchair rugby is very, its particularly nowadays, it's extremely tactical. As much as full chair contact and a lot of players are falling out and stuff like that, particularly nowadays, like most elite sports, us and our opponents know each, know each other extremely well. So we know which plays from our opponents, of what they're going to do, who's going to come on when, all that sort of stuff. And I get on really well with the other coaches as well, top tier coaches. So not only do we know each other really well, we know what each other are going to do. So it's uh, that's very tactical. But I think the biggest things is, as I said, just really putting belief into your into your athletes and showing them the plan and why and how we're going to succeed. And in most Paralympic sports, we've also got all the classification issues. So been able to count up to eight in our case for classification. So you classified by how much function you got. 0.5 being the most, I suppose, impaired. Uh, Up to 3.5, which is the more able athletes. Been able to make sure we've got the right (laughs) combinations and stuff on court. And yeah, so it's uh, very, very, it's, I suppose, yeah, tactical and trying to really outdo our opponents, but also knowing what we have within our own team to be able to make the most of any situation.
1: Well, in that situation where you all know each other and you're playing together regularly, how do you innovate? How do you surprise and catch the other coach off guard? Well, Particularly
2: at a Paralympics, which or a World Chance, which is what we're all obviously aiming for, kind of have to do some stuff on the sly. So you have to, you might only show some stuff for a little while during some tournaments that that aren't that important, just to, to see what what might happen and how they might respond to it. And, and then if it goes all right, you might put it away, or you use it against some other opponents, not necessarily against the team that you're about to play, or training camps and stuff like that. But we watch a lot of other sports, so you know, whether it be NFL. Ice hockey, basketball. There's a lot of stuff to learn from other sports, and even other sports that aren't necessarily physical, contact sports. Like yeah, even other sports from like table tennis and, and other sports. You just learn so much by watching other coaches coach and athletes competing. That yeah, you're just always looking for other areas to to look to improve and just get different ideas. Really. So,
1: could you give us an example of something you learned recently from another sport that you folded into your own coaching philosophy?
2: Uh, Yeah, so just I suppose like, you know, I've seen the play calling cards from a few years ago back in a lot of the American American football, hold up a board with different pictures and stuff like that, which means a different defence or offence or something like that. Their team obviously understands what they're going to do, how they're going to do it. So we've used that in the past to be able to drown out crowd noise. So I might flash a card that might be green, which means we're pressing or red, goes back to key or something. So. Just as a way to counter crowd noise. So, we use a program called Sports Code, which is what a lot of, uh, I suppose, elite teams use and athletes use, which is around just breaking down our opponent's games and stuff like that. So, we know what each other's, what our opponent's going to do, where they're going to go, who's going to pass with left or right hand, all this sort of stuff. But yeah, it's really just looking at other sports, seeing whether it be an impact player, how they, you know, how they involve themselves in a game, or whether it be a, yeah just looking into different different ways that sports and teams and coaches implement stuff so
1: so now i'd like to talk about the back-to-back gold medals if i could you took it over in 2006 the team wins a silver medal in beijing but then in 2012 and 2016 you coach gold medal teams and i'd like to ask what changes what changed from 2008 to create the first team ever to win back to back gold medals.
2: Yeah, so we still had that process, so I suppose after we'll say losing the gold medal game. Like for me it's obviously unless you win, you've probably lost. So silver medalist in Beijing. We then went again and got silver again to the same team, USA at two thousand ten world champs. And as a team we just continue to grow. Like trying to trying to look ahead to what the sport might look like in a few years' time. So uh, particularly after losing in Beijing, but then probably more so once we got to losing 10, 2010 Worlds, it was like we sort of really took the approach of what's it going to take to win world championships in 2014 because that's the style of rugby and the athletes we need to have to win London. That's, that's what we need to find. We need to go out and find these athletes and, and implement a new game style plan that just teams are just not going to be able to run with and keep up with. And sure enough, we've managed to find those players I really, Being a new coach, I really tried to control and dictate everything. But when we got to London Paralympics, extremely simplified everything. So it was just the athletes could actually play what was in front of them. They knew that I backed them, had the confidence in them. It just made it so much easier to operate and enjoy yourself. So I suppose, yeah, being ahead of the curve, having athletes and lineups that other teams just couldn't run with and couldn't compete with, but also having our athletes just having so much confidence, knowing that I trust them and, yeah, and understanding the game plan really just made it so much easier. I guess I think a lot of coaches really try to control too much stuff instead of putting that confidence and trust in your athletes to allow them to play within their means and, and really try to take some ownership of it. So that was probably the biggest thing. And then, so we won, uh, yeah, I also challenged the team in London to let's go through and win every single quarter of every game. I didn't really think we are going to do that. <laughs> sure enough, we did that. We won every single quarter of every game. Every player played in every game. I think we won the final by, I think it was about 15 or 16 goals. Our very last goal that we scored with like 0.2 on the clock was the last goal to actually win that last quarter. Otherwise, that would have been a tied quarter. So, yeah, it was just fantastic. And then, yeah, we went on one World's. And then 2016 rolls around and it was probably one of the best games going around that gold medal game, double overtime against the USA. And, yeah, it was just phenomenal. And then since then, we've gone to 2018 World Champs and lost to Japan in the final here in Australia. Again, just one of our big-time rivals. And that was a phenomenal game as well, right down to the wire. So nowadays in our sport, we've really got four to five teams that are capable of winning on any day. But that's also what makes it so intriguing, I suppose, and make us all continue to work hard and try to innovate and, and get better. So, Brad,
1: right, you talked then about simplifying your message, heading into London. Was there a catalyst or something that you learned or someone you interacted with that helped you learn that lesson?
2: Like I've, I've had a few coaches in the past that I've spent some time with and, and just observed watching them coach their own teams and sports. So I've spent some time with Craig Bellamy at the Melbourne Storm, watching him train Melbourne Storm. I spent a little bit of time with uh, people like Robbie Deans and stuff who was coaching the Wallabies for a little while. But, yeah, like just really seeing how they operated. And as I said, I think a lot of coaches get stuck just trying to do too much. And then and too much too much instruction ends up just scrambling in athletes' heads and they're just like, should I be here? Should I be there? Where's the coach want me to do? I'm too late. I'm not there. And then they start doubting themselves. And so it was a case of really trying to, concentrate on the key things that you want that will make a difference and simplify it to the point that they can not only understand it it allows them to put their own I suppose flair on it as well um, which makes it more enjoyable. So.
0: Life is full of what-ifs some awesome like what if AI could fold your laundry.
1: was reading in preparation for today and, and and you seem to have a very clear message to people, which is don't let the chair stop you from doing anything. And so I wanted to ask you how you've helped your athletes deal with self-doubt and overcome that and participate in what have been some wonderful achievements wearing the green and gold of their country.
2: Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a funny one in that a lot of people see a disability as an impairment <laughs> or, you know, someone being disabled and not being able to do anything where I can tell you straight up right now that most well particularly in the Paralympic sort of sport like we do more more with our lives than most able-bodied people do be able to show people that life isn't over just because you might have an impairment or an injury and then being able to travel the world and do this and do that and as I said earlier having their families believe that and encouraging it it's a real positive thing to start off with and so for us within our sport we you know we don't see the wheelchair as a it's a piece of equipment like a Formula One car like it's not who you define by? it's what you bring to the program so it's not even something that's really even spoken about within our program or something that we really need to, to work on or speak about but particularly during this time of the COVID period now we've really spent a bit of time with working on our mental game probably more so than anything like so particularly being vulnerable a little bit trying to making sure that if you're not feeling well or whatever it might be knowing that you had teammates and staff and that there to be able to help out, help you don't sort of feel like you have to hold it in and it sort of balls up and get bigger and worse, um, open up to, I suppose, trusted people. And, and that sort of helps continue to build that confidence and trust in one another and at least performance when we can play. So, But, yeah, that's probably the way that we sort of approach that area.
1: Talking about the mental aspect of the game, I was – watching the gold medal game against the US in 2016 in Rio to prepare for today. And the scores are locked. You're in overtime. Camera pans across to you. (laughs) You looked calm. You were smiling and talking to your team as if it was just any other game. It was quite unique. And I wanted to ask, are there any routines or systems that you you've used to maintain calmness during the game? I don't know the answer to this one,
2: but for some reason the last two Paralympics is when I've probably been at my most, Content and calmest Particularly in those Cold medal games I don't know why With even one of my Close mates Who's uh, Tim Mannion He's our um, Media liaison For the Whole Paralympic team When we're at events And he just goes You've got to Liven up a bit You're just making Everyone so nervous Because you're so calm And relaxed And But for me I think I know that Particularly in an Environment like that We know that Everyone Us and our opponents Have all put an Extremely amount Of work into Getting to that Point in time during a game, there's not too much that you can do that will change the outcome of it. Each team's going to make mistakes, and it's about who can rebound from that the quickest and deal with it and not get bogged down by it. Like we knew that we were going to play an extremely tough team in America in the final, but I, I remember before the game even started, like it was just trying to do things, not just because I felt like the players needed to do it, but just to kind of keep myself light hearted and having fun and relaxed. And I remember on the warm-up court, uh, I can stand up and walk around a little bit, like what I'm is long distance. And one of our players said, oh, just see if you can kick the ball like down the other end of the court where the US were. I get on extremely well with the US coach and I kicked the ball and it just buzzed the tower, nearly knocked him out of his chair. All our guys just cracked up laughing. The Americans were on edge. Straight away, we knew that we were going to win. Even if it went to six overtimes, we knew that we were the fittest team there. We knew everything the US were going to do. We were just in a much better, I suppose, mindset. We were just so much more relaxed and enjoying the moment where the US in particular a lot more too switched on. And obviously it's a very it's a big game, but at the same time, it's, I suppose the more you can make it fun and enjoyable, that's where you get the better result. And funny enough, after that US, uh, gold medal game, I remember sitting there just sort of in front of the crowd as the medal ceremony was on, this lady reaches over and says, excuse me, Brad, uh, how many valiums did you have before that game? Because I'm up here stressing and I've had so many beers and this and that. And I just look over there and you're just so relaxed. And and I said, I just knew that I had to sort of keep composed because uh, so if I start panicking and stressing, the athletes start feeling that as well. And then that's when errors happen. So it was, it was, it was very much a thing about make sure that I kept composed and control particularly towards the athletes i could vent or whatever to my assistant coach or the manager at the time but just make sure the athletes saw me as calm and confident and relaxed because i knew that's that's the way to get the best result ever out of a team
1: brad if you were trying to improve the culture of a team what are some of the things you should do first
2: look to be honest i think first and foremost is that it's a team so I don't think you go in there and you just try and take over and this is what I think the team needs to have and be. I think you've got to do do it as a collective and have everyone be able to contribute. doesn't mean it goes one way or another, but if everyone feels like they can contribute, be heard and be listened to, they're more likely to buy into the program than just being dictated to and told this is how it's going to be. So I think, yeah, really having a a collective approach and, and making sure everyone's involved is a big part of that. And, show, and just really making sure you spend some time with everybody. Even away, like you know, you might be there as a sports team, but ha- enjoying some time doing other activities, whether it be playing cards or having dinner or just something to get to know each other on a personal basis, not just from that work or sport basis. Because when stuff's going to go wrong, it always happens at the worst possible time and you want to make sure that your teammates and your peers and that are there and you've got confidence and trust in them to have your back, I feel, is, is extremely important. And so, yeah, I'd, I'd make sure that you really don't come in and try and dictate and it's this is my way or the highway. It's a, a collective where everyone can feel that they can contribute and buy in and be heard and bring their own positive, good thoughts to the program as well, more so than just, yeah, just the, that's how it is.
1: Well, Brad, talking about things going wrong, how have you managed to control or influence disruptive peer pressure within a team?
2: Yeah, I've been very lucky. So, one of my assistant coaches, oh, my assistant coach uh, Greg Smith, he um, he's got a military background. So he, uh, so he so he was in the army, and that's how he was actually injured. I had a car accident. He was a physical trainer in the army, but he was a multiple gold medal-winning athlete in marathons and track before he came across to rugby. So. He's extremely well respected within the program from the athletes because of what he's done. And he's appeared to a lot of them as well when he played for our team in, in London and other events as well. But I feel that at times we kind of confuse the athletes where I'll be good cop or bad cop and smitted with the other one. So they always know that one of us are going to be there to support. The other one's coming down hard on you. But it's, it's about, I feel that, yeah, like having the athlete, you know, they none of them, all of them know that, we're not out there taking a personal attack on anybody. It's more about trying to make it make each, each individual in the team get better. So it's we know that you know if I'm saying that Paul, I'm not saying you're a crap podcast person. I'm just saying it. I feel you can improve in these areas. So I'm not having an attack as a personal point of view. I'm having a I believe that you can be better at um you know in these areas. So the, the athletes actually know that they're supported and it's not a personal attack is a big part of it because I think some people just Big down and sort of see the negative and everything, and um, that's part of what breaks teams and people down. So, but I think, yeah, it's really just trying to, I suppose, as a collective work together. And as it for me, I've got Smithy, as an assistant coach, who does an extremely great job and speaks to the athletes. And then I've got the athletes as well, who will always, if there's any issues within the playing ranks, will bring them forward or try and help on them out as well. So, it just really, I suppose, having a real collective good environment and culture really helps sort those issues out.
1: Brad, I understand you were a good sportsman in your youth and then you had your accident and you transitioned very quickly in a new direction, in a new sport. and well, I kept, kept playing sport, just a different different apparatus. So I want to talk about challenge and resilience. And I wanted to ask, what's been your greatest challenge so far as a coach?
2: I don't know. I, I enjoy challenges because it makes me obviously something to work through and, I think the biggest challenge is probably right now, really, just not being able to plan and put stuff in place. For right now, for example, we don't know whether the Paralympics will even happen. We don't know when borders will open. So how do we plan and prepare for a camp? How do we prepare for an international comp? Even if the games do go ahead, do we have all our athletes available? Do they all feel safe to actually go to a games? If not, if you lose too many players, can you even field a team? Um, For us, you know, it's also been, how can we actually help support them and keep them in a routine where they're actually, you know, doing some form of training to work through this period is been extremely challenging. We've had a lot of team training sessions through Zoom and all these sorts of different streams and stuff like that. But it's just been, yeah, it's been a really tough time, but in in a funny enough way, trying to work outside that it's really been about trying to look towards 2022 world champs or even paris as again as like I sort of said earlier is to try and figure out how what the team might look like for that to win how can we best get to that position because those events are probably more likely to happen than a paralympics at the moment going by the current state of things but we've obviously got to best prepare for paralympics if they go ahead so yeah so it's just it's just been a really challenging tough time and i think trying to lean on people that you've got the confidence and trust in and look for some positive probably more so than just the the death toll and the how many new cases and you can't do this and you can't go there. It's what can we do? Yeah. How can we get the best out of that scenario and that situation to better ourselves for now and also the future.
1: You talked earlier about learning from other sports, but I'd also like to ask you, are there any other resources that you found particularly useful as a coach, especially when it comes to managing challenges?
2: Yeah, like so a couple of years ago, actually, just before Rio, the Australian Institute of Sport had a program called Podium Coach at the time together, and there's a lot of uh, Olympic coaches and professional coaches, and I was the only Paralympic coach in that group, and it was a, a really good and interesting course to go through at the time. It was the first time the course was run, and it really helped bind a lot of us together, and I think, like, as a coach, Generally speaking, if you're within your own sport and there's other coaches there, you can feel quite quite threatened and put barriers up and stuff like that. But where we were there, all different sports, we're actually able to go and have some beers at the pub together and relax and see that we weren't, you know, I wasn't going to, I wasn't all of a sudden going to become a rowing coach or a water polo coach or whatever and sort of get those peers from other sports and build those relationships. And it was huge, really. You know, just knowing that you got potential people you can reach out to and ask if you've got a question or yeah it was just very refreshing because I said often you you see barriers getting put up all the time you know even at a rugby event obviously I'm not going to go and speak to the American or Japanese or English coach as much as I get on well with them I'm not going to start hey how do you guys do this because that starts giving stuff away so yeah so that's been Besides the fact of seeing how they operate in other sports and how they approach their training or whatever it might be, it's been really good to speak to other coaches away from the sporting arena and the training fields to sort of interact a bit. And But, yeah, I've just got a lot of really good resources to, to draw upon from many different areas, whether it be skill acquisition, performance analysts. Even our team manager at the moment has got a background in playing a bit of AFL football stuff. So drawing on a lot of different areas,
1: is is probably one of the biggest strengths, I suppose. Brad, if I could just ask one last question: What is the legacy that you want to leave as a coach?
2: Well, I definitely want to continue to, to grow our sport in our in our country, in particular. We've got a phenomenal sport globally, particularly as the top sort of tier teams. When people watch a, a final from Paralympics or a World Champs, and they're just like, "Wow, this is crazy!" It can drag it, it can drag people into want to get involved and. I think, like we said before, whether it be someone who's just in hospital, whether it be from a traumatic accident or whatever it might be or born with something and know that there's light at the end of the tunnel, there is options and opportunities around to do something. But for me here, I definitely want to make sure that our sport continues to grow here in Australia and just gets more participation and more opportunity to play. Some people get bored when the same team keeps winning all the time. For me, I really I'm not bored with us winning. For us, we, we had Japan beat us at the last World Championship, so Paralympics is in Japan. So they upset us on our home turf. It would be great to go there and knock them off on their home turf too. So, But, yeah, I really just want to really try and help set up our program and, and our sport in our country and, and globally to, to really go to that next level. Depending where you are from around the world, depends on how much funding and resources you can access as well. And we're very fortunate here in Australia and just mostly due to how successful we've been over a long period of time and the players that we've got so yeah I really want to try and make sure we find those that next crop of athletes and develop some coaches and all that sort of stuff to set us up to win for a long time continue to be successful when my kids grow up and then grandchildren and whatever I'd love to be able to go along and see the team still being successful and people enjoying join the sport so
1: Brad Dubbley, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure talking to you and I wish you all the best for the road ahead to Tokyo. Thank you very much. Appreciate the time. Hi everyone, it's Paul here and you have been listening to our discussion with Australian wheelchair rugby coach Brad Dubbley. It was a great interview and there was many parts of it that resonated with me but the key points that stayed with me afterwards were Brad's view that great coaches have empathy and are educators who ask a lot of questions to help the athlete become their own problem solver, a skill they can then apply during the game. The reward he gets from using sport to help give athletes and their families a goal that can help with their recovery from injuries, and how most people in the Paralympic sports do more with their lives than most able-bodied people do, to be able to show people that life isn't over just because you might have an impairment or an injury. I hope you enjoyed this fantastic interview with an innovative and deeply caring coach as much as Jim and I did. And just before we go, coaches are not usually the type of people who seek the spotlight. And so if you can put us in contact with a great coach that you know has some timeless lessons on life and leadership to share, then we would love to hear from you. You can contact us using the details in the show notes.